Um, here's a little bit about Ryan for you guys. Uh, Ryan Shadler currently serves as the Wichita Young Life College Director in Wichita, Kansas. He and his wife, Madison, love pouring into college students together and believe this is what God has called them to do in this season of their lives. Shadler is a former wide receiver and all-Big 12 kickoff returner at the University of Kansas, where he currently ranks fourth all-time in kickoff return yards in school history. That's pretty impressive. Um, Shadler had an opportunity to attend workouts with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, no big deal, right? No big deal. And several CFL teams after graduation. Uh, he is currently enrolled at Fuller Theological Seminary and will be graduating this coming June. He is a National Academy of Sports Medicine certified personal trainer and also helped launch FEMA Church in Wichita. Really cool church. I got to check that out last year in 2020 when he and his wife, uh, he, they serve as directors, as uh, the Connect directors. So let's give a speaker, our speaker, a hand, please, as he comes up here. Hey, enough about me. I want to affirm you guys. I want to affirm you. Um, my wife went to Sterling, as she said, um, but I'm going to step up here so I can engage with you. I want to affirm you because I know this is for credit. I know you have to scan in and out, but I truly believe you are here for a reason. I believe you want to grow. I believe you want to learn. I believe you want to dive into community. And so I just want to affirm you. I, I challenge you, take notes, right? Note takers are history makers. You get to go back. You get to look at what was taught and what the Lord revealed to you. So I, I just want to affirm you. Enough about me. I believe you're here for a reason. I believe you want to learn. I believe you want to grow. Here's what I want to do. I want to spend some time in the book of Daniel this morning, okay? Daniel. Um, the book of Daniel is great. Why is it great? Because we do not belong to this world, right? We do not belong to this, this world. We operate off of a different set of values, a different set of principles, a, a different set of morals. And this word right here is what steers and guides our life. But if you go outside these walls for a few hours, and you come back in and you tell me what you saw, what you see is not a world that is following this, that is not saying true to this, that is not being guided and steered by this thing. This is not a normal way of living. Following this word is not a normal way of living. In fact, it's countercultural, and that's what I want to talk to you about today is counterculture. How can we live fully submitted to Jesus? I want to tell you a little bit about myself. You're probably wondering, okay, that's cool, but, but why are you speaking? You, you played football, you do all these things. I want to tell you just my backstory, a little bit of my testimony before we get started. I grew up in Heston, Kansas. Who knows where Heston is? If you live in Sterling, you have to know where Heston is. It's like, it's just the farm towns, right? Heston, Kansas, um, really enjoyed to have great parents, uh, a sister, and was really raised in a great Christian home, knew all the answers, went to church and Sunday school and SCA camps and all the summer camps and everything. When I got into high school, I was really good at athletics, and that was kind of my identity, right? Uh, Ryan, the football player, Ryan, the basketball player, Ryan, the track athlete. And when I got to my senior year, I had opportunities to play either one of those three in college. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to focus on football or track. Uh, I love basketball, but if you don't know I'm 5'10", <laughs> it ain't going to really work. 
Some, maybe it does. For some of you basketball players, you guys are hoopers and you can be short. That's great. I know, I know Hendrickson was a, was, a, was a hooper. He's short, right? No offense, man. Um, but uh, um, so I knew I was going to play, you know, football or run track. So I decided I committed to the Wichita State University. I was a sprinter and a long jumper. I uh, was really excited to sign there and, and report. But right before I reported to Wichita State, my senior year, with summer, two months going up to, to August, I started to get really sick, uh, fatigued. I was like, okay, maybe I have mono, maybe I just have the flu. What is it? Um, weeks go by. It gets into June, it gets into July. I wake up feeling like I, I'm achy, I'm sick, I feel feverish, all these things. I went to every specialist in the Wichita area, right? Uh, Center for Disease, like all these things, like uh, infectious disease, all the things you can go to, and they all came back with the same thing. Everything looks fine. Your blood work is fine. Everything looks normal. And so it's like, okay, if I can't figure out what's going on, it's probably in my head, right? I'm just going to report to Wichita State, and I'm just going to enroll in classes, and I'm just going to go to workouts, and I'm just going to tough this out. Like I'm living my dream, Division One athlete, I'm going to do it, right? So I get to WSU, and man, I just get sicker and sicker and sicker to the point where I can't even go to practice. I was a 400-meter runner, and you can imagine, right, you 400-meter runners in here, the repeat 400s, the 600s, the, the, it's, it's ridiculous, right? I couldn't even do it. So I called my coach. I said, I can't do this anymore. On top of that, I was really regretting that I wasn't playing football. So I said, you know what? I'm not feeling good. I missed football. There's no football at Wichita State. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just transfer. <laughs> this is two months into school, right? Uh, my parents were like, okay, well, what's next? Um, so I decided I got a release from Wichita State, and I said, I'm going to do this. And my coaches are like, okay, that's great. You're going to do this, but you're sick. How are you going to play football? And I said, I don't know. But what I do know is that if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it. And so I go. I go to end up going to the University of Kansas and, and where I played uh, football, and I get there, and I get to KU and Lawrence, and still not feeling good, but I'm pushing through. I'm now, now I'm living my dream. I'm in the Big 12. I'm doing everything I can. I'm like, all right, I don't care if I feel sick. I'm going to push through. I'm going to get noticed. I'm going to live my dream. So my freshman year, I get to campus, uh, all Big 12 kickoff returner. I'm like, okay, this is freshman year. This is great. I'm going to have, this is going to be a fun four years. Well, everything in my life changed sophomore year. Okay, so I report to training camp, and I had been battling off and on with this fatigue. Still no answers. No answers at all. In fact, I went to Mayo Clinic, best hospital in the world, right? Was there over Christmas, uh, there over New Year's, come back after 10 days at the Mayo Clinic with my family, and still no answer. <laughs> they said, uh, probably it might be depression. No, something is going on in my body, right? And so I said, I'm done. I'm just going to play. I get... Sophomore year to KU, training camp, fall camp, and it is as bad as it's ever been. I can barely walk down the stairs and open the fridge. I don't know what's going on. I said, I, I lay down on the table at the bottom of the football facility, and I said, doctor, you got to figure this out. I'm done. I can't do this. And I'm crying. I said, I am so sick. And he says, well, all your test results are fine. Let me just press on you a little bit. And he's checking my stomach and my abdomen, you know, as doctors do. And then he said, hey, Shadler, we need to rush you to the emergency room said, okay, maybe finally they'll figure out something, right? So keep in mind, Mayo Clinic, KU Med, all these places regarded as the best hospitals in the world. I go to Lawrence Memorial Hospital. I'm not throwing shade on Lawrence Memorial Hospital, but 
It is not the Mayo Clinic, okay? So I go to Lawrence Memorial Hospital, and after a few tests, uh, I, I'm sitting there with my friend Wayne Simeon, my mentor, and he's comforting me, and he said, the doctor comes in and he says, hey, you have a rare birth defect. Tell me about that. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? I'm 20 years old at the time. He said, you don't know you have intestinal malrotation? And I said, no. What's that? He said, hey, when you were born, your small and your large intestine are supposed to be here. They're actually rotated. Your appendix, which is supposed to be here, was up on my back, and they were twisting around, which can lose blood circulation to your intestines. And he said, you've been living 20 years with this? I said, I guess. <laughs> I guess. He said, well, we're going to get this fixed. And so I go into an emergency surgery. It's like a five-hour long surgery. All kinds of hospital-born like hospital infection, complications. They spent four hours trying to find my appendix. I didn't tell you that, right? They, they could not find it because it wasn't where it was supposed to be. Very strange stuff. So I get that surgery, and we think all is, all is good, right? But here's the thing is, little did I know that surgery was going to knock me out all 12 games my sophomore year, right? All 12. So here I was, all Big 12 kickoff returner. I told you my identity was in football. My identity was in what people said. My identity was in stats. My identity was in who tweeted something about me. That when that got taken away, here I am on my sophomore year, just after being all Big 12, and now I can't even practice. In fact, at the games, they have a little bench for me by the fans on the sideline because I can't be too close to the action, right? So here I am, I'm watching, and my identity being all that stuff, all the approval, all the articles, all the awards, the stats, that when that got taken away from me, I felt like I had nothing left. Nothing. Right? She mentioned my wife went to Sterling. We were engaged at the time. She was running track here. Beautiful girl. Loves the Lord. I had that going for me. That didn't matter. I have parents that love me, support me no matter what, drive me to Mayo Clinic back and forth. That didn't matter. Right? The Lord loving me, providing for me with, with all kinds of friends and a great church home in Lawrence and a great Christian college group in Lawrence, and that didn't matter. I was so stuck in my own identity that I couldn't see all the things that was around me that the Lord had provided for me. And so when I tell you that it was the darkest moment of my life, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating, right? Dark, dark moment. Depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, because I, that was who I was. I was Ryan Shadler, the football guy. I knew all the answers. I pointed to God before I get a kickoff return. Don't worry, right? I was that guy. I knew all of it. I, was the, I led FCA. I served at church. But my identity, my commitment was not fully to Jesus. And so when I got the thing that identified me taken away from me, I felt like I had nothing. Right? And so I want to talk to you about how to be fully committed, all in with Jesus today. And it has a lot to do with culture because culture wants to influence your identity. Culture wants to influence your identity. Maybe it wasn't sports. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's partying. Maybe it's your job, your career. Maybe it's your Whatever it is, culture wants to influence your identity. Someone is trying to change who God designed you to be. Someone is trying to change who God designed you to be. Insecurity, shame, fear, temptation. Enemy and culture is trying to change your identity from being about God. That's why I said, walk outside these walls for just a couple hours and come back and you tell me what you find. Tell me what you find. 
Enemy and culture is trying to change your identity from being about God. Like I said, I made the decision as a young kid that I knew who God was. I prayed that prayer at seven years old. Right? I, knew, I knew the answers, but I wasn't taking the necessary steps in my life, in my daily life, to fully follow him, to fully commit my life to him. And it took this moment, that low moment in my life, right? It took this moment in my life for me to realize I need to fully be all in with Jesus. I need to fully commit my life to Jesus. I need to be all in. So lucky for me, by the grace of God, my story wasn't over there, right? It could have been, but the Lord had something for me. In fact, I, I healed up and I got to play my final two years at KU and, and I still wasn't feeling well all the time. Still had some fatigue and achiness and some things, but man, I got to play football again, which I never thought I would do in that moment my sophomore year. So I was grateful, right? I played two years. I got married to Madison. She moved up to, to Lawrence and uh, played two years of college football married, right? So I was the old man on the team. Everybody was going to the bars after games and I was going home to my wife. We were watching a movie, right? That's just what I did. I get done with my senior year at KU and my wife and I, we, we talk and we say, hey, I, I don't think we're done. I think that the Lord still wants us in football. So I hired an agent. I pursued pro day. After pro day and after I was a, a, an All-American at the Tropical Bowl down in Daytona Beach, I get a call from the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm like, everything in my life is coming together, right? Everything I work for, everything I've worked for, like this story of identity and coming back, like the Lord is setting this up, right? So I get a call from the Chiefs. I, I go work out with the Chiefs and then I don't get a call back, right? Like, ah, draft comes, rookie mini camps come, nothing. So then I go up to the CFL, right? And I, I go up and I work out in British Columbia. And they said, hey, we'll call you when you get home. You are our kick returner. You are our slot. We are going with you. And I'm like, Maddie, here we go. Pro football, Canada. Let's go. I get home. Maddie has my bags packed. I'm not even kidding. I still remember that she has it on the couch because they said in two days we're flying you out. Two days comes. I don't get a call, right? Three days come. A week come. I'm starting to think, was there another Ryan Shadler on the list? Did they call the wrong guy or something? I still don't know to this day. And now I know is the Lord, right? The Lord had something for me. The Lord had something for me. When I was in the middle of that pro day and that Chiefs workout, I had an opportunity to go speak at Young Life College in Wichita, Wichita State. And I didn't know what Young Life was. But I go to, I was doing all this speaking on identity and coming back from that sickness and that illness. And so that was kind of what I was doing, FCAs and youth groups and and now Young Life. So I drive down to Wichita, and I speak. And after this, the, the Metro Director of Young Life, Matt Shepard, he comes up to me. He says, hey, we're rooting for you, and we're praying for you in football, but I want you to know we'd love for you to be our college director. And I look at this bald dude that I've never met, Matt Shepard. <laughs> He's get pumping my gas. I said, you just offered me a job, and I don't even, you don't even know me. And he says, yeah, the Lord's telling me that you would be great in this role. And so my wife and I, we prayed at that quick trip parking lot, Webb and Central in Wichita, and the Lord revealed to us that night, hey, you're going to go into ministry together. And so it's not that the Lord didn't love football on the platform he gave me. In fact, that's the whole reason I'm here today, to be honest. That's the whole reason I'm up here speaking for what the Lord has done in my life. But he said, hey, I love what you've done in your life, but I'm going to close that door and I want you to walk over here because I have something that is even greater for you. You can't see it. You can't see it right now. I love what you've done in football, but I have something greater for you. So I want to open up this word, okay, Daniel 6. Daniel's in his 80s, and we don't have time to cover chapters 1 through 5, 
this morning, but if you read one through five, you see Daniel and his friends, man, they're in a battle, a battle of faith and culture every day. Culture in Babylon was, was changing. It was changing. There was a lot of, of religious elite that were, were, were putting these laws on him and were saying, you got to worship this and you got to worship this statue and you got to do this. And Daniel, every single day, had to fight in faith. And so I want to pick up in uh, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, I hope you guys are okay with this. We're going to read a lot of scripture, which I think you're okay with that, all right? This word of God, we're going to read it. So hang on. This is going to be a while, okay? 10 through 23. You ready? Uh, You're not ready? Are you ready? All right, here we go. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, the document of, hey, if you worship God and not this statue and not these false gods, we are going to kill you, right? So when he knew that was signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day. He prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Verse 12, then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of your exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Right? They're kind of hyping up the king. O king, or the injunction you have signed, but he makes this petition three times a day. Then the king, they're tattling on him. Verse 14, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Verse 15, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that is, it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be charged, changed concerning Daniel. Verse 18, then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, Has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of lions, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. (laughs) Walking with God doesn't free you from attack, but it gives you greater purpose. Walking with God does not free you from attack, but it gives you greater purpose. The first point, right? The first point to be fully committed is you got to know your purpose. You got to know your purpose. Here's the reality is God does not promise our lives to be easy. 
free from tragedy, free from hurt. But what will happen is purpose. What will happen is impact. What will happen is other lives will be transformed because he's taken your mess and he's made it a message and he's taken your test and he's made it a testimony. What will happen is purpose. So number one is know your purpose. The outcome of this story, this wasn't just for Daniel. (laughs) The outcome of this story impacted lives. What we don't read in there is that many people came to know the Lord after that moment, after Daniel had gone through the thick of it, right? The outcome of the story impacted lives. It had purpose, but here's the reality is it was still an attack. It was still an attack. Daniel still struggled, but it had meaning. He still struggled, but his struggle had meaning. The reality is we were made on purpose for a purpose. We were made on purpose for a purpose. I talked about it at the beginning of my story, right? The enemy wants to keep you confused on your calling. He wants to keep you confused on your next steps. He wants to keep you confused on your identity. Not only that, the enemy also wants to remind you of who you've been, who you are, what you've done, what your past looks like. He's really good at doing that. But here's the good thing, right? Paul says it in the New Testament. He says, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. You don't have to hold on to that stuff any longer. You don't have to hold on to your past, what you've done, who you are, what you're going to do. You are a new creation in Jesus. So I want to pick up. I want to highlight a few verses. Let's go back to verses 14 through 16. Let's look at this. Verse 14, Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction to ordinance or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Man, Daniel's respected. Right? He's in his 80s. He's done some crazy awesome stuff. He is respected, but he has some haters. He has some haters. There are haters around him. Those guys that keep coming to this king and saying, hey, no, you wrote this. This is what the law says. You have to cast him in. They don't have his best interests at heart, right? And if, if I'm honest, and the reality is this, is we have haters around us too, right? We have haters around us too. So the second point, if you want to be fully committed to God, number two is you have to choose your influence wisely. Choose your influence wisely. There are people around you that do not have your best interests at heart. They do not want to see you succeed. They do not want to see your marriage thrive. They don't want to see your career thrive. They don't want to see you happy and joyful. We all have haters in our lives, people that are against us. Choose who influences you wisely, who speaks truth into you, who speaks life into you. Here is what I'm not saying. Don't twist this. I'm not saying don't hang out with people that you don't like. I'm not saying that. I encourage you to do that. But what I am saying is who speaks truth to you, who you listen to, who influences you, who mentors you matters. Choose your influence wisely. Who motivates you matters. Who are you letting motivate you? 
Because those people that you don't like, that oh, they kind of grind your gears. Yeah, I'm going to still love them. I'm still going to hang out with them. I'm still going to bring them in. But man, I'm not going to let them have a voice. They don't have my best interest. I use this in ministry all the time. Me and my wife talk about this. Authentic with everybody. Vulnerable with a few. Write it down. Authentic with everybody. Vulnerable with a few. Here's what I mean by that. I'm Ryan Shadler today, as I was yesterday, as I am tomorrow. Everybody that comes in contact with me is going to get the same Ryan Shadler. But the people I'm vulnerable with about my marriage struggles, the people I'm vulnerable with about my temptations, the people I'm vulnerable with about the things that are hard in my life are going to be few. The people that I trust, the people that I know have my best interests at heart, who pour into me, who want to see me do better, who want to see me operate in my calling, who want to see the purpose of my life to its full potential. That's my pastor, right? That's my mentor. That's my wife. It's a, it's, it's a pretty small group. I'm not going to come here and talk to a million people about the things that are in my marriage and the things like that. I'm going to be authentic, but I'm vulnerable with a few. And that's what I mean. Who influences you? Choose who influences you wisely. Choose who speaks life into you. Choose who has a voice that motivates you, that encourages you. People have to earn the right to be heard. We use that in Young Life all the time. A little plug, right? People have to earn the right to be heard. And we got to have a relationship before you speak influence, before you trust me with that, before I trust you with my hard things. I want to transition a little bit. To verse 10, you know, every, everyone thinks this is an incredible miracle, and I'm not, I'm not trying to discount or discredit God here, because it is a miracle. He did deliver Daniel. But everybody thinks that, oh, Daniel got thrown into the line. You hear this as a little kid, and then he was delivered, right? But what people don't realize is that Daniel let his faith do the fighting. Daniel let his faith do the fighting. So let's pick up and let's just read this. Verse 10. What does it say? It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber or open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. There is not a period right there. There is not a period. There's a comma. Don't discount that. Don't, don't skip over that. What does it say? He got down on his knees Three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks to God as he had done previously, as he had done before. See, Daniel just didn't go up to his upper prayer room and get down on his knees when everything went bad in his life. Every single day, he was faithful. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to spend time with the Lord in the everyday mundane life, the average day. That when something happened and when he knew this decree was signed, he just went back to what he had been doing before. Praying, trusting, having faith, talking to God, shouting at God. There's a comma there. As he had done before. We all make decisions in life, but until you make the small ones, you can't make the big ones. Until you make the small decisions in your life, you cannot make the big one. The third point to be fully committed, number three, is small decisions. Small decisions. Many of us want this lion's den faith. We want this lion's den miracle in our life without making small decisions. 
And I'm not discrediting God because he can do it. He can do it. But many of us want this lion's den faith without ever making the small decisions. We don't want to be faithfully committed to the small moments. We don't want to be faithfully committed to small moments. What are the small moments? Prayer, worship, community, Bible study, quiet time, mentor, everyday mundane life, when it's still a good day, when it's an average day, when it's a bad day. Small decisions. The small decisions make a snowball effect in your life. Small decisions matter. And here's what I'm not saying. Now, don't get on me. I'm not preaching prosperity here. That's not what I'm preaching. I'm not saying if you make these small decisions, oh, God's going to give you a Lamborghini. I'm not saying that, oh, if you make these small decisions, man, the Lord's going to do this, and he's going to provide you with this wife, and you're going to have this amazing house and all these things. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that Daniel went with the small decisions that when something bad happened to his life, he was able to face it and conquer it. How are we going to conquer it if we don't go to the small moments every single day? The small moments. Not just in our faith, but in our life too. Sports, marriage, health, school. If you're studying for a test in school, it's the everyday moments, every single day. Talking with your professor, PowerPoints, reading, quizzes, that when that test day comes, when that lion's den moment comes, you're ready. You're ready. You play basketball, getting up 100 more shots after practice. If you're a wide receiver, making sure you got your hands on the ball, 200 catches a day minimum, going to the cold tub, you're stretching, you're doing all the things, right? Michael Jordan, the goat of basketball. I don't want to hear any LeBron James in here. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time, right? The greatest. And LeBron gets his respect as like third or fourth all time. I get you. But, but Michael, okay? Michael. If you look at how he prepared, I know he wasn't the nicest guy. I'm not trying to preach Michael Jordan here. What did he do every day? That dude would get to the gym at 3 a.m. And Kobe was the same way. He had a helicopter, obviously, that would fly him because of L.A. traffic at 2 a.m. to go work out at, at, at 4 a.m. before practice, right? Everyday small decisions, free throws, working out, film, nutrition, that when the big moment comes, he has six championships. And that can't be argued, right? Everyday, mundane life. College guys, this is for you. This is where you open your notebook, so you better open and get your pen ready. If you want to pursue a girl, okay, if you want to pursue a girl, you want to marry that girl, man, quit sliding into the DMs, quit just Snapchatting her, quit just calling her, put the phone down, pick her up, and go on a date. Okay, it's, it's everyday things. If we want to pursue somebody, if we want to pursue somebody, it's going to take little small decisions. You want to get into marriage, it's going to take the same small decisions, right? So guys, write that down, okay? You can't just friend somebody on, on, on Instagram and say you're dating, okay? You have to pursue them. And in the same ways, if we want our lives to be transformed by Jesus, we have to be in pursuit of him. We have to be in pursuit of him every single day. We have to be in pursuit of Jesus. See, Daniel, he understood the proximity of God. If you want to make the right decisions, you have to understand the proximity of the presence of God. It's available. It's available. The presence is always available, but the question is, are you? The question is, are you? 
The presence is always available, but the question is, are you? We live a noisy, busy, hectic life. Our schedules are full. The Spirit is always speaking to us, but oftentimes we're not listening hard enough to hear it because we're going and we're going and we're going and we're filling up our schedule here and we're speeding over here and we're on our phones here and we fill it all up that when we want to hear from the Lord, we can't because we're too busy. The presence is always available. The question is, are you? Here's my last point, and I I make this last point for a reason. This is my last point. To be fully committed, it affects everyone. It affects everyone. The outcome is not just for you to be saved. The outcome is also for others to be saved eternally. Daniel wasn't just saved from this story. Right? We know now from scholars and from continuing to read, and it says the king even got saved after this, but other people that were watching got saved. The outcome is not for just you to be saved. It's for other people to be saved. It's not enough for us to just know it. It's called commitment. It's called discipleship. You can't stand for something publicly that you never surrender to privately. We have so many people that are standing publicly that never surrender in their everyday mundane life privately. It affects everyone, not just yourself. And I want to leave you with this. If you leave this building today, if you leave this auditorium today, and you keep this to yourself and it stays here, then what in the heck is the point of this? We're just a little Christian bubble in Sterling. We're not doing that. Do not keep this here. We're not meant for Christian bubbles. It affects everyone. It affects everyone. So when you leave here, man, go show Jesus in what you do. And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying force Jesus on anybody. That's not what we're called to do. But what I'm saying is by the way you speak, by the way that you listen, by the way you engage, by the way that you love, by the way that you pray for somebody, by the way that you give, by the way that you do share Jesus when they're ready, It affects everybody. If you keep it in this room, you just create a little Christian bubble. And that is not what we're called to do. This room is great for keeping accountability, for loving, for Bible studies. But man, go out and share the gospel with others outside of this room. When you leave here, go show people Jesus in your daily life. Go show people Jesus in your daily life. Influence your friends. Call a mentor. Invite your friends to church. Man, an invite's easy. Hey, you want to come to church? No? Okay, next week we'll try. Right? Pray together. To be fully committed, we have to understand the impact. We have to understand the impact. So just to wrap it up, it affects everyone. Remember this, to be fully committed, number one is know your purpose. Number two, choose your influence wisely. Who is speaking life and truth into you? Who has your best interests at heart? Number three, small decisions, they matter. Small decisions matter because when the big moment in your life comes, you're not going to muff the punt. You're going to be ready. And number four, it affects everyone. Let me pray. Jesus, God, we just come before you thankful. Thank you, Jesus. God, we need you. We need you. Help us to know our purpose. Help us to have people in our lives that influence us. And God, 
Remind us of the daily small moments we need with you, Father. Help us to lean on you. And God, when we leave this room today, Father, help us to share Jesus in the way that we act, in the way that we think, in the way that we speak and we listen with people. God, multiply this room. Multiply your mission, Father God. We just give it to you. We give you the rest of this week. And God, we just pray for peace, comfort, joy, your fruits of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Swords up. Let's go.